You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Greg Hectus. I'm back. All right, Brian McCubbin. Hey, everybody. Happy Daylight Savings Week. <laughs> That's funny. And John Kearney. Hello, iRacers. Justin Pearson. <laughs> what up, fellow racers? On the show today, we'll look at how some of our champions get their dues. Motorsports Games loses another license, and the hardware reviews never stop. Pull up a chair and take a load off and join us in the lounge. That's right, Mike. And you can join us on irishuslounge.com and selecting show notes, and you'll be able to see all these great stories and products we'll discuss today. And so, uh, yeah, so log in, check it out, and we'll see you there at irishuslounge.com. Hey, let's uh, throw it to Brian for the World of Outlaw Late Model Champ. Get some hardware. That's right, Mike. Uh, so uh, this past week was um, the World of Outlaws um, season finale at the Charlotte Dirt Track, and that's where they honored the World of Outlaws Late Model um Butt kicker series champ Evan C, who picked up his uh, his goodies after winning the uh, winning his second consecutive late model series. So uh, the, it was uh, he got his big old um, uh, uh, novelty check. Uh, he got uh, his trophy. Everything was picked up there at the track. Looks like it was Tyler Hudson presenting the check to him there, eleven thousand seven hundred dollars. And then the trophy, uh, yeah, it looks pretty nice. Got the iRacing logo on it, 2023. The World of Outlaws up above, of course. Everybody loves a fake check. So I'm guessing the uh, 11,700 figure came from his uh, the series win and his cumulative uh, wins throughout the season. Because I think I think it's $300 for a win, 200 for second, and 100 for third. So I think that's where the weird number came from. It's pretty nice. cool. Go ahead. Sorry about that. No, it's nice to put a face to a name. I've watched this kid race, and he pretty much dominated that season. Yeah, sure did. He's, he's dominated the last two seasons. So it'll be interesting uh, next year to see if anybody can really pressure Evan for this championship because he's really, he's really uh, just won this thing easy last two years. It's a pretty nice sweater he's got, too, for iRacing. Like a camo look, maybe, and then it's got the logo on the on the breast. Pretty cool. Nice trophy. That's a, that's a sick trophy to get too uh, for your hardware. So Brian, I don't follow. Does this guy race or try to race in real life? I mean, I can't imagine a dirt a real dirt car team not wanting this guy to you know try him out. I don't remember seeing him with any. Um real life experience um i could be wrong and um but I, I know there are some of the dirt series drivers who do race real real world i don't remember for sure evan c being a part of that 
All right, John, tell us about is the protest system fixed? This is part two. Yeah, we got another video from DJ EJ about the uh, uh, the protest system that's that's coming down the pike for iRacing. And, you know, they posted in the forums, and I think we might have talked about this last week, but some of the, the things that they're going to try to do uh, that will be updated in the sporting code is – some coaching post-race results, and uh, DJ EJ gets into some of his thoughts and comments about that. I think the big one was he thinks that I rating needs to be removed to, for this to really be effective if you're going to get DQ'd. Because the way that it read last week was they would remove championship points. It didn't mention I rating, safety rating, that kind of thing. And so in his opinion, yeah, it needs to be I rating to be effective. Um, you know, and and so the question really came down to he asked his listeners, are we going to take away I-rating for bad behavior? There were a couple good comments uh, on the video. I'm going to read one of them, and John, you pick up the other. Um, we had from Thea Goods 021 I feel that a drop in I-rating for DQs will result in a massive improvement in driving standards right off the bat. The top splits are getting overloaded with the eSports win-at-all-costs mentality. And if this approach eventually leads people from dropping out of the top split, we can have a less sweaty future indeed. Yeah, and uh, at Rules Lawyer, which, by the way, that's not me, um, he said, I don't like the idea of docking I-rating. It just means that slower racers have to deal with the trolls. There's enough to deal with in those races without making it a dumping ground for them. I'd prefer to sell temporary bands handed off more often or make a hidden rating where the trolls all get matched. I think reading into what all this is going on with this uh, new system they want to bring in, how many, we don't have any statistics on how many people actually are getting protested or um, and, and successfully, you know, being banned or just having a couple race suspension or things like that. Um, when you have the I rating system, I don't want to wait a couple days to find out is my I rating that I got in that race going up, down, because of somebody else that was doing foolish stuff in the race. I think the only way you can solve it with the whole I rating system is because of the way they make the I rating system and the safety system. Um, a factor on your your. I think it's only is it only the safety system that they do off of your past ten races or whatever they do it accumulative. I don't know if it's I rating does that way, but I think what they need to do is add an, a, an accumulator to the I rating where it if you do get protested, you're out a while. When you come back, you have a ten race penalty where your uh, I rating doesn't move as fast or something like that, where it's not. Um, it's 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 something that they have a penalty for it's not we can't take it away after the race it just it's they get a zero everyone else's can't change you can't be changing the results on one thing like that it just has to move that person out and we have to move on i think we, we get so stuck in um having these uh every little piece of uh, i rating i mean obviously mike it made a whole difference for you from moving from split to split to get more points in races for your trying to get the championship there in the last part of the season. But I just don't think uh, affecting I rating with protests is going to be a pro or uh, uh, going to help. They just need to do just have a, a better process with this. 
I think, I don't know if this is a little extreme, but I think they need to take like a play off of NASCAR's book. You know, they take, I consider rough driving kind of like cheating if you're wrecking on purpose. And in NASCAR, they put the cheaters parts out where everybody can see there's a little bit of humility when that happens and put their names out there put the video out there and make them aware it's fair for the other drivers that are actually racing clean to know that name i think that's fair just i think there's a legal reason they don't do that darn it because it'd be so easy just to have a protest page where you could go and see people's names and see who's been protesting and why they're gone. There's a reason you get that email back saying it's, you don't know what the protest is. There's gotta be a legal reason why they don't obviously give that up. I, yeah, I'm, I guess I think there just needs to be a little humility, you know, in real life. That's why they don't do it. Cause millions of people see you, see them do it. So my take on this is, I understand why they do it on championship points. It's for every reason that Greg just stated. You can't change I rating after the fact. Like you, you do a race on a Saturday and then Tuesday, all of a sudden you have a different I rating. Well, oh, because some bozo got put, you know protested from a race three days ago. You know, and we we don't want that. So that's why they say it's championship points. But on the other hand, how many I racers? care about championship points. I don't think there's a lot. If you look at an overall percentage, there's not a lot of people chasing championships here. It's the people in the top five of these series might be chasing it. Okay. You run a particular series and you're in the top five. Yeah. You might be watching the points, but everyone else that you're, you know, you're racing against they're they're one offers, you know, they're not, they're not there every week. They're just there this week. Well, I, th- I think two things on that too, Mike, you might not get enough championship, but we'll say, say in the middle of a race, there was a wreck that was intentional and somebody protested you for it. And say that was the driver that ended up on going on and winning that race or something. Right. And he gets protests afterward. I think that's where it'll hit people more where, okay, now that wind is taken out of your statistics and it, it, you know, it's that wind's taken away and, or top five or whatever you get out of the race. It might be a, that mean more, might be more of a hamper um, to people, but I just like I, I believe that majority of people, as soon as they're out of the championship point race for the season, do they really care after a while? Yeah, I I, I don't think the average i racer is ever going to look at championship points. I mean, I've been on the service for about a year. And I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not in the chase for any championship, never looked at it, couldn't tell you what my championship points are. And honestly, at this stage of my career, I don't really care because I know I'm nowhere near the top. Well, that's my point. I mean, so they go and disqualify John Kearney for bad driving. What's the penalty? Oh, they took away his championship points for a race he doesn't care about. You know, it's just, so that's my point. Now, now here's the other thing. What if there was a tie to winning the division championships? I know they can't do it because um, you just get people that would knock down divisions to try and win it. So, like, if you put, like, say, you get 100 iRacing credits if you won the championship after a season or something like that, people would start, you know, moving down divisions to try and win them because they know they can go up in iRating and get more championship points. But 
if there was an incentive somehow um, to trying to win a championship, then, you know, it would feel like a penalty to take the points away. But I just feel like um, in the end, um, if you start also, we were talking about the I rating there. If you start adding the I rating being taken away, if they, if I don't think there, I've ever seen where you can take I rating away um, in from them at all. I don't know if I've ever seen someone ever lose I rating by being manually manipulated by I racing. Is it possible if if that was the case? Do you think it opens up a can of worms if they all of a sudden took I rating away after a race or something like that and move things around? Wouldn't you get people complaining like, oh, I disconnected and because of your failed server, then you get people, oh, you can make uh, manipulations with iRating. Well, I should have been finished here or things like that. I think it would just open more cans of worms. Yeah, I mean, the way the iRating system is designed, I don't think they can do it technically. I mean, so that's why it's championship points. I think EJ DJ is, uh, you know, wishful thinking. All right, let's move on. Justin, how about Coke Series Champ Honored? Yeah, um, as a part of NASCAR's championship weekend at Phoenix, um, eNASCAR Coke Series champion Stephen Wilson receives his honor. And iRacing put out a tweet here. It's a good weekend for to be an SHR fan. And it's got a picture of uh, Stephen Wilson holding a big old check for... I don't know. $101,600. That's a good little salary right there. And did you guys realize that's the fourth Ford that won a championship this year? They, they won in esports as well. <laughs> that's crazy. So that's Steve Myers on the right uh, side of the picture. I don't know who the other two guys are. I'm guessing they maybe one of them's the track president and then one's a NASCAR person. I can't see who it is. Well, one of them's from Coke, I'm sure. And it's probably the guy holding the Coke in the middle. Maybe the other one's a NASCAR person then? Probably a NASCAR. Uh, you know what? That might be Jusan Hamilton, who's uh, director of uh, esports for NASCAR, I believe. You know, that uh, that's a big check. You know, that's real money. And I think it's pretty cool that there's that kind of money put into the series uh, to reward these guys for their hard work. Now, does he get to, uh, to, uh, to file it in uh, Arizona and get less tax taken off on it, or does he have to file it in the state he's from? State he lives in. <laughs> so do you think this is what he made from eNASCAR? Do you think he made more with sponsorships? Sure, because Stuart Rittenhouse, you know, Stuart Haas Racing, you know, he runs for them. They had to do a deal with him, and that deal includes money. We don't know how much, though. So. There's there's other things because isn't there because uh, um, this is a prize pool from what three hundred thousand right Mike yeah so the rest of it's spread amongst the rest of the competitors everyone gets a piece but wasn't there isn't there pieces for each race wins too or something like that they used to or is that how they used to do it and they don't do that anymore it's just at the end you know it's been a while since they documented that but that does ring a bell that you you got more if you won. I wanted to say it was like a thousand five hundred and three hundred or something like that for the top three in the race that they were getting on top of winning at the end of the season, but it, it doesn't matter. But a hundred and one thousand dollars, almost one hundred two thousand dollars, is a ridiculous sum of payment to take home for um, you know having fun. I don't know. I'm not gonna say he's having fun. I'm sure he does enjoy it, but it's also probably work for him too to do it. 
you know, you're right, Greg, because I think the winner gets 100K, and if it's 101, maybe that extra 1,000 is from, you know, his race wins or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Brian, why don't you start us off on the big story? All right. So the first uh, update came earlier in the week when Toka, who has the whole, who holds the rights to the British Touring Car Championship, the BTCC, yeah, uh, they 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 posted that they have been forced to terminate the agreement um, that they have with Motorsports Games. Um, they said they've been given uh, sufficient latitude to rectify those contract breaches that they've had, and un- unfortunately, Motorsports Game has failed to do so. So they've been they've been trying to get. Uh, um, they've been wanting a standalone uh, British Touring Car Championship game, and uh, Motorsports has not been delivering, and they're uh, not living up to their contractual obligations. And um, Toka has uh, removed themselves from their contract. Uh, so, so officially, uh, Motorsports Games has lost uh, the rights to this series. Yeah, I think they missed a payment of eight hundred thousand. I think it was. And if, I think the thing is, is they've been waiting to try and get an official TOCA game since console games that have been, it's been a long time since they've actually got a good uh, series game. So this is it's kind of a, a shot across the bow for um, this series and, and representing the European uh, championships that uh, would be nice to, to, to have as a console game again, I guess, for some enthusiasts. Yeah, so Brian, that was earlier in the week, and then that sparked media types asking IndyCar what's going on. And so Mike Straw Media on Twitter is one of those, and he posted in an update to my story on the IndyCar game, the entirety of the IndyCar dev team has been laid off at Motorsports Games. We should know more about the game later today, but it's increasingly likely it's dead unless it's sold off. Yeah, it seems like uh, it would be tough to develop a new IndyCar game when you just laid off your entire team that develops it. So um, I have not heard as of yet that uh, IndyCar has has done the same thing as Toka has, TOCA has, as far as terminating their contract, but... I mean, how can you not at this point? I mean, unless unless there's that last minute company that comes in and swoops this, you know, swoops in and um, and reinvigorates this this company or absorbs it or however it happens, there's just no way that this company is going to put out an IndyCar game. Well, Adam Stern, who's a NASCAR media business uh, insider, he reports uh, later in the day. IndyCar is not yet confirming that it's moving is moving to terminate its motorsports games deal, but it says it is disappointed the developer has halted production on its officially licensed video game. And he has a direct quote from IndyCar. It says, quote, significant work and collaboration has gone into development of our title with motorsports games. We're disappointed they do not have the resources to continue development. We'll announce next steps in due course. So, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this is Indy has a lot of blame to carry for this because they did. I don't think they did their homework with uh, with with motorsports games and really really found out what their company was like and and uh, and they just. 
and this is just blowing up in their face. And now they've got uh, iRacers who love IndyCar and didn't get their Indy 500 last year who are salty about it. So now you've pissed off iRacing people and you're not going to get a game from the other company that you went into business with. It was lost. If you look at it, Brian, it's lost advertising that they lost this year by, by exclusifying it, right? They're waiting for this game that has not come out and that you're losing, you know, even if you wanted to sign this deal with motorsports to do this stuff, don't, you know, if they have a game, but don't, don't pull everything from, uh, everywhere so that, you know, you're, you're just one singularity and you're waiting on them to do anything. And like you said, Brian, maybe they didn't have the best research in it, but it just doesn't make any sense. Um, what this company is doing with money that they keep getting thrown at them and they keep, getting rid of people like it's it, the, the whole industry of development is having this problem recently too with a lot of games after they've been they're out then they start laying people off but this one couldn't even this one hasn't even seemed like it's 25 percent down the road and they're and they've had trouble and they can't keep getting bought out or have someone invest more money and it just it's it's awful well, this, this has, I think, some fairly longer-term implications because now, you know, it was going to be, what, 2024, 2025 before this game was even going to come out in the first place. Now it's anybody's guess how quickly somebody can come along, take this, and finish it. I mean, IndyCar is not going to have a game for a long time. So Racer.com did an article as well, and they have a quote or uh, some specific, yeah, it's a quote from Motorsports Games. Here it is. For its part, Motorsports Games expressed no intent to relinquish, relinquish control of the property, citing in the forward-looking statements section of their earnings release that, quote, the company's plan is to identify opportunities to resume development of its IndyCar title elsewhere within the business following the closing of its Australian studio, quote. Well, it's just a sappy PR piece. It doesn't mean a thing. If they don't have the people and the resources, they're not going to get it done. It's a dead deal. They need a company that's established that's going to come in and take this over. Like you'd have to have like a, an already a company like try and go after like an Electronic Arts EA to do it, or Risa. or you're going to have to you know are you going to have to try and merge it with the contract that was signed with NASCAR and iRacing and try and use their resources to try and finish it. But then again, they're going to, you know, that'll leave iRacing won't have the infrastructure to add another uh, development onto it either. Right. They won't be able to like they they, they bought it. I rather than or got into the NASCAR uh, license knowing that they can do that. They're not expecting this to come up from it. So I saw a video and I don't have it here, but somebody mentioned Risa studios would be a good one to take it over. And of course, iRacing is in the conversation now for sure. But, you know, iRacing is really busy with their NASCAR game. So there's one more piece to this. Mike Straw Media, I found a reply on one of his uh, tweets that he put out that says this, no matter what happens, IndyCar is due its minimum guaranteed annual payment from motorsports games within 60 days of the start of 2024. Should it not pay, IndyCar can revoke the license. So there's the out, uh, 60 days into 2024. So is that like March 4th? March 4th? No, it'll be March, like, yeah, it's a couple days into March, right? Yep, that's right. 
And so the video I saw was speculating that there's no way they'll come up without payment. And then IndyCar will, uh, you know, take over their life, take back their license, uh, so to speak, at that time. Well, you said, what did, Brian, did you say that the TOCA one was like 800 grand? Yeah, I heard that somewhere. So what do you think the IndyCar payment that they're going to get paid? Because I would think, I don't know. I guess they would be on par. Like it would have to be somewhere around that amount of money. The same or more. Over. Yeah. It's just a ridiculous. It's, it's frustrating because nobody's getting any, uh, any, an entity that already had a good product to race with, had it and now had, had to give up the rights to it for a company that couldn't get their shit together. And now we have to, you know, wait, it's in limbo now. It's basically a whole series that might not get anything at all. There was a forum post in iRacing forums about this, of course. You know, people excited. Oh, my gosh, are we going to have an Indy 500 this spring? I don't know. I, You know, with the license still in play until at least March 1st, uh, you know, will will iRacing be able to do a deal so we can run the, the race or not? You know, that's the next question. Well, I would well, guess that they, they don't need a deal, right? Yeah, Greg, sorry. It, I was just thinking... If it's March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, they just terminate it, they'll be able to allow, they could just say, hey, iRacing, you can go back to using it again. Um, the good thing about iRacing is we have all the peripherals. They just have to start name series and add them back in, don't they? It's like it's not, they don't have to go crazy with it. It's not like we have to create a whole new thing. We have all the peripherals. We just don't have the access to naming rights and stuff and, and officially doing it. If they terminate it and they get an, an iRacing swoops in and goes, Hey, can we start doing this again? It might be just as it could be a couple day thing to fix that problem. Yeah. Cause I don't think iRacing had a, any kind of agreement with um, IndyCar before the motorsports game license. It was just, you know, they just had their game and uh, you could race it. There wasn't any exclusivity from from motorsports games. I'm gonna say I'm gonna get we're gonna get the Indy 500 back, and I'm gonna get my IndyCar NIS series back. <laughs> I'm I'm saying I'm guessing that the only reason the only way iRacing will not have an Indy 500 is if this expires and another group picks up the license before the race. All right, exciting uh, that this is finally getting to a point where it's kind of come in full circle. But one thing everyone forgets about, and we don't seem to have any love lost for is Lamar. I mean, these guys still have our Lamar. But how much in danger could that be at some point? They're running out of people to work on stuff there, it sounds like. And they needed those licenses probably to supplement to get some of that stuff too. So does that hurt their equity in keeping something like that. I mean, they have a, wasn't it a 10 year deal? They signed that for that originally. That's crazy. And they, and they actually owe a game called a Lamar ultimate, I think early spring that I, you wonder if they're going to make that game. Well, to complicate things. I mean, what if this company goes into bankruptcy and then things get tied up in court, you got these licenses that are hanging there. I mean, this could get messy for a long, long time. Could you imagine we might not see Max Verstappen in a Lamar race? He already wrote, the, wrote him off last time, remember? He said, I'm never running this thing again. 
because of the way it was ran and stuff. Maybe that was uh, strike number one that we didn't see coming. I'll take this next one. Diage, I think I'm saying that right, is a bot that will check signups once a, a minute and let you know about races that are about to go official. After missing a race that I would have otherwise raced had I realized it was going official, I've created a bot that will check signups once a minute and send a Discord notification if it reaches those five signups. Never miss another cheeky stock car Brazil or Mission R race again, says Duncan Watts in the forums. Um, kind of a neat idea uh, if you're you know trying to uh, get into an official race in one of those oddball series. I think this was like uh, obviously that'd be good for the ones that have lower participation and um, are just always on the cusp. Maybe it's even better for like low um, par participation parts of the day too, right? Like when you have a lull in the day where there's not as many people on online. I don't know what the lowest part of the day would be, but it, it seems like iRacing has a consistent amount of people on all day. But back in the day, this would have been really handy because you'd have a, like before the NIS series came along and you were anticipating it, when you had an A, B, or C race every hour or every, every two hours, you wanted to know if one was going to go official. You'd be sitting there watching it, waiting to see if the number would go up above eight. And now you can with this. It's it, this. It, you know, keeps you. You know, you got it on your phone, right? You'll get it a notification. You come back to your computer and you can go racing. Yeah, like when I ran the sprint car, I often would wait to see if it would go official before I would sign up because if it didn't go official, I just, I wasn't interested really. So. Yeah, this would be handy for some for that kind of situation. Yeah, I thought, Mike, the same thing you did when I first saw this. I thought, yeah, this would be really cool for sprint cars because that's a great car. It's a lot of fun to drive, but there's not much participation. And I would always sit there and wait and wait and wait to get enough people in it. And uh, with this, you know, it makes it a lot easier. All right, moving on. I'll take this one, too, because it's Mike's 2023 Awards. I went looking on the website because I tore down my rig and I was messing around at iRacing.com and I found the uh, awards page and I actually got some new ones here in the last few months. I got cruise control oval, which is win an oval race that counts towards your NPR while having the best I rating in the field. What and race then, did you win? Which race did you win that did that? It would have been an oval um, race. Right, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's an oval race, and your car number one, I think, or would yeah, it, your car number one. Would it have been maybe a a plate race, like when you were doing what was that seven four twenty three? You did that. So, uh, what was around that time? That's June, July, and probably was, is that July fourth? Yeah, yeah, it is. So, what did you win on 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 that day? I don't know. I'll that, have to go look that now was, that you're asking. That was a Chicago street race for NASCAR. Did you yeah, have the yeah, I won one the Chicago. Race? Did you have the number one? No, I won the IndyCar run. No, the Indy race. The Indy road race, right? Yeah, but this is the oh, It was an oval. Yeah, it's showing up as oval, though. It wouldn't show. Anyways, I would like to know what that is that you got, though. So then in August, I got the 15-year celebration. Uh, by participating in all four of the 15-year uh, celebration race series. Remember, I was trying to win a prize, so I started each one of them. 
And then I got uh, in September consistent finish level three for oval, complete 10 consecutive official oval races with no loss of I rating. So that was probably your streak with draft masters. Yep. Yep. And then it got me thinking about NIS open points overall. I, I looked at those. I mean, division three, Tom won. I came in second. Um, Chris Waldron came in 11th and Tony Rochette 12th, I believe. And um, as far as overall points, um, Garrett Maines won it. Of course, Garrett Maines from the Coke series. Uh, David Hall, our very own David Hall, finished 29th. Congratulations, David. He even missed a couple weeks. Uh, Tom Dryling was 41st. I was 50th. And Justin Pearson, you were 82nd overall. Yeah, congratulations to you guys. I think those are great showings. Good for Team Tafosi and uh, a lot of hard work and dedication for you guys. Kudos. I'm kind of fired up for next year now because... One, I had no idea what the points were until about 90 days ago, until you and Tom started getting tight on the points race, and that's when I started learning. So I'm kind of excited for next year. Well, Justin, if you got 82nd this year, I mean, let's shoot for a top 50 or something. like. We'll try. Okay, Greg, you got Black Friday. Yeah, so iRacing time of year again, where you get uh, they post it up on X or Twitter, whatever we keep calling it. Uh, our biggest sale of the year has returned. Hop in the virtual driver's seat with the iRacing Black Friday sale. So I guess they are doing was it twenty five percent? So now from now through November thirtieth is the best time to renew your iRacing membership. You uh, this year you're all. All one and two year renewals are 25% off, and new users can sign up for 50% off. I so, did it, I renewed two years. So, once again, it's always advantageous to do it the same time of year. We have the same sale every year, it's either 20, 25, 50% off, or whatever. It's usually 25, um, but it's always the best time to do it and uh, save yourself some money. So, you got to use the code to get the deal. So make sure you go to iRacing.com slash Black Friday to copy uh, the codes um, so you can paste them into your shopping cart when you renew. But you know, I mean, do the math here, uh, 24 months at $150, Greg. I mean, how cheap is this hobby? Well, you know what the nice thing too, I was just noticing, it was the same price last year. They have not increased their prices in a couple of years. It's been this for a while. So if you do the two year rate, you're paying $6.25 a month. Which there's not, you can't even, what can you get? One one or two uh, things of beer, or, uh, cans of beers? Uh, not a Starbucks, that? you know, it's. Yeah, it's a Starbucks, yeah. No, nobody in iRacing drinks Starbucks. It's not, what are you talking about? At least I was, using, I, was using something, I was using something somebody on iRacing would relate to, not... 21 cents a day. <laughs> How much is it per NIS race, Mike? Well, divide that by five. <laughs> four cents an NIS race. So every time I run NIS, it costs me four cents. 
We See, like. I love this hobby. It's so affordable. I, I told somebody <laughs> the other day, I could be golfing and like burning my money, like, like hold up a lighter to your hundred dollar bills. And just, I mean, that's golf. So you just gave uh, listeners a really good tip, you know, Hey honey, it only cost me four cents. You know, it's, it's okay. I can do this. I feel like this needs an infomercial on, uh, on CBS. It's only, it's only four cents an hour. Donate to Mike in his hard time of iRacing. What's funny is my rig is all tore down. I'm not even racing, but I renewed anyway, of course. But uh, there's all the other Black Friday deals going on, guys. All the rig manufacturers have them right now. Uh, Advanced Sim Racing, Sim Labs, they're all about, I think, 15% off. Track Racer. All right, Brian, how about Season 4, Patch 4? Yeah, so uh, iRacing dumped a, a new patch for Season 4. It's the fourth one. Um, looking over the um, the release notes, nothing super fancy. Uh, some uh, some issues with the spotters' messages for cars moving to pass you. Um, they actually add like a faster, faster coming up quick or group of faster cars approaching. Now um, that uh, can play on there. A um, couple of uh, damage model updates. Uh, there's one damage model update on the cup cars. A um, couple other series. Um, changed a little bit of the brake limits for the nose front fenders and rear on the cup cars. And the rear brake limits on the rear hood mounts. Lowered the stiffness for the rear hood mounts. Um, yeah, so just a couple of patches. I didn't see anything super, super massive. Cool. And then, John, how about how many cars wide is this finish? Yeah, so iRacing uh, put on X or Twitter X a little short video of these cars sliding past the start-finish line. I mean, there was a huge crash. And so, you know, they're saying, hey, how many cars wide were they? And it looks like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine cars wide sliding sideways pretty cool video but it was it's your classic pile up at the end of the race there's actually about 12 in play if you count the ones that are like halfway up alongside and that kind of thing at the line it might even be 12 i like how someone said nine nine wide two and a half inch high or two and a half high that's the funnest thing though is you're at talladega you're coming to the checker and at Talladega, that checker's so far away on the front stretch. It's not where, you know, a, a checker usually is in the middle of the straightaway. And, and boy, it, inadvertently, you end up wrecking and everyone wrecks and you just hope you can get it to the line, you know? Justin, how about Mooncar? Yeah, Mike. Um, here on X, it looks like Mooncar driver Brian Hicks called into tonight's Mooncar Strike 2023 broadcast to express uh, his opinions on the matter. He also took time to take aim at some of his competitors as well as Moonhead. So I was kind of following you guys in the chat with this. It's kind of an interesting interview. I'd like to learn more. He basically was telling Mooncar, you know, these, these races are crap because everyone's wrecking all the time. Maybe he needs to demote some of these drivers and, and bring up some fresh blood. Because I guess in Mooncar, they have like the main series and then they have a feeder series, you know, or where they recruit out of. 
And, and so he's like, you know, Mooncar, you need to, you know, demote some of these guys, you know, for the way they're driving. And, and so Mooncar called back to Brian Hicks and was like, you know, okay, well, well, let's do it. I mean, tell me who, who I should demote, you know, and he, he wants names. He called out some names like, uh, Michael Cozy Jr. And he basically said, you know, these Coke, these guys wear this Coke driver at thing as a badge, which means gives them the right to, you know, basically plow through the field, you know, to do whatever they want, you know, to get up front. And so he said what a lot of people think, you know, when you race some of these esports guys that, you know, like, like a Garrett Mains who, who will drive it three wide on the, you know, go down on the grass at Martinsville to get by you, you know, and just kind of push you up out of the way. I, I mean, he did admit it. I mean, he did give names at the end, but if you notice, it was kind of a little cringe there for a second when he goes, Moonhead goes, give me names, give me names. And he was, he was stumbling a little bit. Well, haven't we always done this though? Like the, the way the racing is dictated is dictated by how the league there, you know, who runs the league. So, you know, you're in charge of your league. You should be able to, you know, you should make it, you know, what it needs to be. Like if, if you got criticism, you know, you either, you either fall on the sword or you, or you ended up getting stabbed by it. So Brian starts out the video saying this quote, we need fresh beef. The beef that we currently have is about to expire. Expired beef. It's a good title. All right. Uh, I got this next one. We got a forum post. I thought it was a little interesting. It's a poll. And this guy is asking, does the more I rating you have mean the more grip and speed you get? <laughs> That's the, uh, the way it's supposed to be written, Mike. At least say it the right way. You got to say it the way he wrote it. He said, the more I-rating, the more grip and or speed does I-racing give? Question mark. I mean, obviously, maybe this person's language might not be fully English. Who knows? Well, now you know this guy, Greg. Look who wrote it. It's Sergio Abella. Oh, okay. You remember yeah, Sergio? So, so his English isn't perfect. So, yeah, I don't blame him for writing it that way. But does does he? do we actually think that that correlates at all? Well, you know, the, one of the guys that responded to uh, Brandon Holtmeyer said, are you legitimately asking if you have a higher I rating? You magically have more grip? Yes. And the earth is flat. Yeah, this sounds like a, like a conspiracy theory to me. <laughs> so um, my understanding of his question is, like, the higher your I rating goes, the more grip I racing is feeding you as a, as you get higher. And um yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, that would be that's why that would, they're aliens. Yeah, that's yeah that that would be like a, a huge a huge problem for i racing because they're they're favoring people with uh, with higher i rating and it's it's supposed to be equal for everybody, you know. Sounds like a guy not being honest with himself. So I know Sergio from NIS maybe three years ago. And before he was a, a staple in I, NIS, second, third split. Um, he has very broken English. I, I think he's from South America. I'm not sure. I haven't seen him in NIS for a while, though. So did you uh, vote in this, Mike? Did you uh, happen to see the vote results? I voted yes just because I wanted to. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a joke, and but yeah, no, the yes is 33 percent, and no is 66 percent. It's closer than I thought. 
I hope there's a lot of people like Mike just doing it. Because <laughs> that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad if a third of your people think that the races are fixed, basically. Can I can I start another one? The uh, the higher your safety rating, the uh, the more the more solid your car is. It's known as less damage model. I say the higher your safety rating, the more of a pansy you are. Ooh. You're not driving hard enough if you have a high safety rating. You got to drive harder. Okay, uh, Brian, how about spe all the spe events coming up? Yeah, this is, um, we've been uh, talking about this for a little while, for a couple weeks now, but the BRSS uh, iRacing Formula Ford 1600 Festival is coming up. But uh, what's new is Greg, Greg West posted in the forums the balance of power um, adjustments on it. Oh, no, he didn't. That was for Fuji. Sorry. So this is just the race that's coming up. I apologize. It's in next two weeks, right? And then Fuji's this weekend. Yeah, he, he did announce the Fuji balance of power. That's going to be our next topic. But uh, as far as uh, as far as the uh, BRSCC iRacing Festival, that's coming up uh, on November 17th through 18th um, is the first set of slots. So there's a, a Friday, a Saturday, two Saturdays, and a, a late Saturday um, race if you're East Coast. Yeah, and then the Fuji 8-hour is uh, this weekend, uh, 10th, 11th, 12th. Uh, get in there. Have fun, guys. Podcast housekeeping. Leave us a review of your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find us. Mention the podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. Get involved in our Discord and join the chat. And we have a website where you can see our, literally our show script and get all the links to the hardware. iRacersLounge.com and we have iRacersLounge.shop for the merch. Lots of good shirts and hats and so forth. Don't forget we're on Performance Motorsports Network. Let's jump to fantasy, Brian. Yep. So uh, Phoenix wrapped up the NASCAR season, which also meant to wrap up of the fantasy season and taking the series win. Uh, little little um, excitement there because it was pretty much wrapped up. But Canadian, congratulations, Canadian. He wins the. Um, the iRacers Lounge uh, Fantasy NASCAR season um, 2003. Um, Team Dewan finished second. NASCAR Jedi uh, finished third. Um, if we were giving out uh, medals for top Tafosi drivers, that would be uh, Tyler Williamson, 10th overall. And, oh, yeah, 10th overall. For the week, though, uh, at Phoenix, uh, which is funny because when you actually watch the NASCAR race, it's like... A, you don't even didn't even know that Ross Chastain won the race. You barely barely could tell. But uh, both and Hose and Trick Dick were both tied for the win for the week, with dollars and cents in third, and Mud Dog in fourth. And I've been talking with our winner Canadian this week. Uh, his real name is Adrian Johansson. He's from Canada. Uh, but he's a nice guy, and he gave me a mailing address in Detroit, so I don't have to ship it to Canada. But we ordered him one of the really nice sports jerseys, uh, iRacers Lounge sports jerseys. 
they're like 75 bucks or something but uh, we got the canada flag on it got his last name on the back and and so forth uh so adrian congratulations on winning the fantasy and i hope you like your jersey uh, it's already been ordered and uh hopefully you'll have it soon so what about ross chastain i mean boy i mean some people think he shouldn't have been racing those championship four uh, especially Ryan Blaney, he kind of took offense to it. He kind of bumped him at one point, but I mean, what do you guys think? Was Ross out of line? I don't think so. He's trying to win a race and he didn't wreck nobody. It wasn't like the truck race by any means. If anything, oh, keep going. No, I was just saying, he's just doing his job. He's trying to get a paycheck at the end of the day. I mean, he, he was, he's a hundred times better than he was in the beginning of the season. If they're supposed to all lay over and uh, let those guys do what they want to do, what's the point in having 36 cars on the track? They might as well just run four. I, I agree totally, Greg. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's kind of odd that it, usually it's the final four driver who wins the race, but um, I don't know if that's because they're just that much better or if guys are just moving out of the way, like Greg was saying. Um, but I don't as long as we're not doing something dirty, I mean, I don't see a problem with the racing clean and hard. That's there's nothing wrong with that. There was a rumor. There's getting there's two sides to this story, but door bumper clear said that there was an official at Ross's spotter stand saying, "Hey, chill out, kind of be easy on Blaney." And if that's true, I don't agree with that. that that's got to be one hundred percent. There's no sense. There's no. They have no reason to not tell the truth there. The only one that doesn't know the truth is that other story that's coming that they're saying NASCAR is confirming they had nobody told to go do it. It's it, why there's no rhyme or reason why they would even tell that story if it wasn't true. Because that is race manipulation coming from the source. I mean, that's no different what Corey Heim did to Hoskvar. And like, what if I had a bet down, you know, a uh, Ross, then they make Ross back off and let Blaney win. I mean, a lot of people lost money. Well, you hear them talk about the, the, the junior role. If junior was in the first lucky, lucky dog position, you got to, there's definitely a caution coming and things like that. So race manipulation isn't a new thing for them. I'm sure. I thought it was fun to watch Harvick and his weekend and all his emotion and whatnot and his kids and, on the radio and all this stuff and he was leading laps in the middle of the race there i was like excited i wouldn't boy wouldn't that be something if he won well it's been a good fantasy year i i like doing fantasy on the podcast because it gives us a chance to talk about nascar as well so we're going to keep doing this you know congratulations to our winner um that that jersey's great i have one of them you're gonna love it Living large or strapped for cash, it's all good at Metro Ford Chicago. Metro Ford delivers to you. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, we have over 160 vehicles in stock. Good credit, no credit, doesn't matter. We offer easy financing and guaranteed credit approval. Visit eMetroFord.com or call the owner, Patrick Milligan, 773-983-3166. Metro Ford of Chicago, serving Chicagoland and beyond for over 30 Five years. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. All right, hardware, software. And Brian, why don't you start us off with the Philips Hue integration? 
Yeah, like, uh, this is uh, a YouTube video from Daniel Killian, who shows how to integrate the field shoes lighting system into sim racing. So uh, we've talked about the hue, hue lighting system before. I, I think Mike has dabbled with it a, a little bit. Um, but um, Daniel here uh, gives you a little bit more detail about how to properly set this up to get to get the effects you're looking for with these uh, few Philips Hue lighting. Um, did you watch this, Mike? And did it did it give you any uh, tips on your system? Well, there's a lot of videos out on the YouTube about how to do this. And this is just a new one. Um, and that's why we put it up, just to remind people about this, this uh, option. Um, he does a great job explaining how to set it up because you have to like, draw a square or a rectangle on the screen of where you want it to look for the shadows or the differences in the light. And so what they often do is they draw that square along the dash of the car, you know, so you see the, the sun's bouncing off the dash and then you go under the trees and then there's no sun on the dash. So that's a really good spot that you can do. And he talks about how to, you know, set that up, how, how wide it should be, how tall it should be. Um, all the other software integration that you have to set up on the PC and on the phone to make this all work. And so it's a really good walkthrough, one of the best ones I've seen. And so if you are interested in setting up a Philips Hue ambient lighting system, this is a great video for that. I'm just not, uh, I think it's a really cool system and the way it integrates with software like this is really cool. I'm just not, I'm not sold that it's the best for, for iRacing or, or day racing, I should say. I can see where the night effects would be really cool because you have a lot more dynamic light changes that would probably be really neat on this system. But it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, Mike, but it seems like when you're racing during the day, there's not that many variations of lighting. It's not. You're right. This shines constant the whole time. But when let's say you're at Kentucky at night, and you get all, as you're going down the back stretch, the you know the lights are every hundred yards, and and you almost get that pulsing of the light as you go by them. You know you're going from one light to the other, and it's, and you can almost see just a little bit of variation in the light because you're driving by these lights under a night. But you're right, if it's daytime, it really doesn't have much effect. And the other part I wanna th caution people on this is it's expensive. And the videos can be misleading because these guys are really good at it. They're very specific about using road cars on dark tracks at night that have lights. So it's very, uh, you know, contrast, you know, it looks really good. But like Brian alluded to, uh, a lot of track combinations, time of days and stuff, you're not going to have the same effect. And so you really have to pick the right thing for it to look really cool like it does in the videos. Yeah, I mean, I still right, remember I watching oh, the, the uh, so I, I still remember watching Boost, Boosted Media, Media's version of this where he was it wasn't eye racing because it was a track with some um with lightning in, in the background and the lightning effect with the hue lighting was fantastic. It was awesome the way he had it set up, but you don't get that in iRacing. You're not getting lightning storms. You're not going to race it and stuff like that. So in that case, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Maybe later. But yeah. So. Tempest is coming. All right. The next one I'll take, cause I have one of these It's a semi cube two 
Drive, uh, True Drive releases their update finally. Um, and so I been excited about this because I, I, I was under the impression that it was going to change how it feels quite a bit, but I was mistaken apparently, or maybe I just need to wait for somebody to put out some kind of updated profile based on the new software to, to see those differences. But I did install the new software. There's a few changes. It's not much. Um, does it feel any different? It doesn't. I, I really haven't felt any difference in the actual driving, but I'm using the same pro old profiles too. I did go looking uh, for any iRacing new profiles since the update and there hasn't been anybody put anything out. So I guess I'll look again later. I got the same base, Mike. What profile do you use on Oval? There's one called NASCAR Super Sensitive. Okay, that's that Joey Logano one, I think. That's the one I use. There's yeah, and it's 1080, um, and then there's a a 900 one NASCAR that I run as well, but I, I pretty much do the one the 1080 one. All right, Greg, how about the McLaren GT3 V2 Fanatec? Yeah, because I have the uh, the version one of this one. It's just a uh, video here by Danny Lee um, talking about it. Um, obviously, he, this one came, comes with the quick release now, too, which is a lot nicer. I love my McLaren GT3 rim. I've never had an issue with it, other than the fact that the, all the facts that uh, they don't have the magnetic <clears throat> style shifters that I think that this one now has in it to fix the problem. But other than that, I think it's a really good thing. I don't, I haven't got through the whole video. Um, like did he say if was he just reviewing it and saying if he liked it? Yeah, basically a, a review of this wheel. It's been out for a while, but, um, he liked it. I mean, he didn't have any problem, no flex, you know, um, you know, the, the paddles are weird to me. I mean, they're kind of like on a pivot point in the middle. So it's like one long paddle all the way from the left to the right with a, that has a hinge in the middle kind of thing or pivot in the middle there. Um, he thought that was a little strange. I think um, the other thing that threw me off on this is how thick it is. It's so thick. You don't like them thick, Mike? <laughs> well, it just looks odd. I don't know. I mean, the top of it's two and a half inches deep or something. I mean, it's actually, it's a nice rim. It's not heavy though. That's the thing. Like I don't, I haven't compared it to, I don't know. Cause I like the one that David runs on the, or used or has for it. Um, the formula style one um, over this GT one, I would like to see the weight difference, but you're right. The, the shifter on an anchor point where it just, it's kind of like a teeter totter or it goes back and forth is a little bit um, of a different style. Um, I, would I like that in another steering wheel? No, but it is was one of the best. I think I paid $149 at the time for the original one for it. So, because um, I think I bought it at Black Friday on a Black Friday sale, but it's it's done me well. It's got enough buttons to do what you need to do, and plus adding a button box, you really can't go wrong with it. Um, but I I appreciate that they've fixed some of the problems that they did had that some people were having with it and. Uh, kind of i feel like if you if you look at this wheel it was the this is the wheel version of the shifter they had problems with so this wheel had the same type of problems that their feet their their shifters were having it's 
it was always a constant problem the same person was having with it so they had the, to come up with a version 2 update of it so at one point he picks it up and shakes it violently and you can hear the buttons rattle the little buttons are kind of loose and they make this rattle noise and he uh, mentioned that but i think you nailed it with the weight this thing is really really lightweight and and it really lets the force feedback come through to your hands when the the wheel is lightweight look having a heavy wheel makes a huge difference when i went from the fanatec oval to my uh, max pappas oval wheel it's a bit heavier i could feel the dampening in the force feedback a bit just because it's a heavier wheel yeah I've, like i said this has been the best um i guess the most that i use it for is kind of like the GT series, like I use it for what it's kind of listed for. I use it for Lamar all the time and all the uh, hybrid cars. It's perfect for putting settings and stuff on it and um, being able to dial stuff. And if you need a back when we used to have hybrids that needed the boost button, it was perfect because you had these nice big trigger points on it. I, I love I love this rivet. Um, obviously, it's dated the one I have compared to what they have out now. Now, Greg, do you use that for NASCAR road? I used to in the old car. I don't anymore with the Gen 7. So you're in, just got a regular rim then? I have a, a big NASCAR, the big NASCAR, um, I think it's what, 16 or 17 inch rim um, that I uh, uh, race with. Um, but I also, I, I used to use the paddle shifters when I was at... Uh, um, road courses but i went back to running the sequential shifter um on my on my shifter uh thing there now speaking of rims uh that brings us to the next story matt malone shows off his brand new max pappas rim and guess what he bought the same exact one i got with the usa colors on it yeah that was a that's a neat little clip uh, i believe he's running that uh, a street stock he's sure sawing at that wheel trying to keep that car straight i love the big wheel um you know just like that video shows i mean he was sawing on that thing you know going back and forth on it. he gets his forearm up on it at one point you know uh that's what you want you want this big wheel that's got a lot of padding on it yeah is that a 15 inch mike yeah, so a 15, I think, is as big as it get. Most steering wheels in re real cars are 13 inch, is what you'll find. If you go on Amazon looking for steering wheels, they're all 13 inches, but this one's 15. And most of the companies, when like like if you get a one from a uh, uh, like Logitech or Thrustmaster, and kind of originally, yeah. they're all they're all 13s. Yeah, 13 but or less. You can buy, like I said, from Fanatec, you get a 15 inch racing oval. That's what I have. I think it's, you're right, Mike. I think it's 15, not 16. Okay, John, how about the Conspit ALC? Yeah, so we've talked about this uh, Conspit, this automatic launch control that they have. Uh, you know, and they say it's cutting edge technology for faster takeoffs and unmatched consistency. Uh, and a lot of controversy over this thing because, you know, when it came out, uh, and it was demonstrated how much time you can pick up on some of these starts, standing starts. People thought, you know, this is this is a cheat. Uh, 
but I don't think so. And and they're touting this automatic launch control as a good selling point. So they have a graphic that kind of shows how it works. It basically says, hold down the clutch and the throttle 100% at the same time while you're pushing a button on the wheel. And then when the green light goes, you pop the clutch out all the way 100 to zero while leaving the throttle all the way down. So you're holding the button down, you're waiting for the green, and all you have to do is let out the clutch all the way. And then it'll do the gradual to the bite point and just take off. Yeah, and if you look at some of those comments on that uh, on Twitter X, um, they took a lot of heat for this. I mean, people were saying, you know, you're cheating. I'm never going to use this stuff. You're just adding an element of cheating and eye racing. And I don't know if the controversy settled or not, but this thing will definitely give you quicker takeoffs. It's funny how they're calling it cheating, yet steering wheels have had this, you know, a lot of companies have had this come out uh, on the steering wheel, no problem. I have that McLaren GT3 uh, rim that I just showed you, it has uh, launch control paddles on the back of it as well. You, you pull both of them back and you let one out and then you gradually let the other one out. It's basically like an F1 clutch. And, I, you know, I get that this is an automatic thing, but it's, you know, just another thing that there that helps out, you know, the fellow iRacer. You're right, Greg. This has been around forever. I have this in my cube controls wheel, um, and it works as you describe. It's just a different way of doing it. Instead of using the paddles on the wheel, you're using the pedals and a button. It's just a different way of doing the same thing. So I don't think it's cheating. So, you know, the question I had about this, do you know, real race cars. I mean, do they have this kind of technology in real cars that they can do this with? Or is this just something that's exclusive to sim racing? Road cars, they do. Obviously, and obviously things like late models and stuff like that, there's people always being threatening about having like traction control and things like these these added in on the late model series and stuff. But you're never going to see these on, because even the IndyCar, they have, um, certain ways to have a clutch for break points or for bite points and stuff like that. But none of this, it basically is on like the GT, you would see it like the European GT type stuff, um, roadside. You're not, there's no oval significance to it. Yeah. Dave Cam did a video on this, did a, a pretty comprehensive, uh, on, on, uh, YouTube. And I was chatting with him one day and he told me, he said, look, this is, this is strictly road racing standing starts. Won't do you a bit of good on oval racing. Yep. All right. Um, I'll take this one. The SimLab GT1 cockpit has been reviewed by OC Racing. He says, is this the perfect sim racing cockpit? And uh, boy, you know, I've, I've talked a big about this cockpit before. I still will. I think it's a great design. I think it is a step up from their original P1X, which is what I have and what David has and a lot of us have. Um, I, you know, I like the, uh, the new design. I, you know, the, the way that some of the metal is hooked together with the plates, the way that the triples, um, the integrated triple monitor mount works and looks, how wide it is, where the seat is, it, it's, it's wider, um, given more space. There's a lot of good things to say about it. 
Yeah, the guy that did this review, um, you know, one of the complaints he had about it was uh, he didn't like the shifter mount or the fact that you have to put it on the rail. But when I looked at this, I actually kind of liked it. I mean, I think that's a good spot and a good way to mount it rather than having to put on some kind of external rack uh, to put the shifter on. Yeah, I, I mean, where else are you going to put it? And and I use uh, my, my mouse. I, I want a, mount, a trackball. I have a trackball, actually. Um, a mouse moves and a trackball doesn't. But I put my trackball off of that side uh, piece as well, as well as my shifter. But I mean, when you're if you're looking to buy a cockpit, you really need to consider this one. Um, you know, everyone's got a pro cockpit now, and um, you know the advanced sim racing one. And boy, that one's really nice too. You know, either one of these is just like. And they're all on sale, right? Some of the, the advanced ones are on sale right now. Yeah, fifteen percent off on all of them, I think. At one point, this guy OC Racing, he decides to test the flex and stuff he stands up on the the wheel deck like he like gets up on top of it and he's get his feet up on it and stands up and jumps around a little bit you know kind of thing i don't think i've, I've seen will ford or some of these other guys actually stand on the wheel deck is that is that a guy knowing that it's going to be replaced if he accidentally broke it well he does the same thing on the pedal plate as well he's jumping up and down on it yeah, it's a pretty sturdy unit. In fact, I, if I understood him right, I think he said he was going to use this uh, as his everyday rig for for now. So if he's going to do that, it must be pretty good. The different design, I'm going to talk about one of the design differences from the P1X to this Pro. The P1X uprights are straight up vertical. These are at an angle, okay, much like the, the uh, signature for the rig of next level racing where they come up at an angle and they're not straight up and down but then the triples they come off of those at us at the opposite angle and so it ends up being lined up correctly as if it was straight up and down but they got this you know diagonal look going up to the left or diagonal up to the right and so that's the design differences you know uh it looks like it would work out the same though and be just as sturdy all right let's keep moving brian how about moza r12 yeah this is a review of the moza r12 done by uh dan suzuki um he goes to, does a pretty comprehensive reviews on all this stuff really um and, he, and he's i think he's one of the better ones as far as giving you uh solid opinions but um so he did like it. Um, he thought the power that it was plenty strong enough. Um, he noticed because he's coming from a semi cube. He noticed a little bit of the a gearing as he's turning the wheel. You know, you're feeling the it's not super smooth like the semi cubes are. Um, so, it, in, in a lot of ways, he thought it was pretty good. But um, in the end, he kind of said that the problem with it is that the sim magic is is much better is <laughs> or, or at least it's better it does everything that the moza does but does it better so um his his opinion was that um while, while he didn't have any major issues with the the moza that the uh, sim magic was a better option for for the price yeah i actually have this base um and and he is right it's got that little cogging effect in it you know, in the race, I don't really notice it that much. Uh, but he said, you know, for if in that price point, 
he felt like the Alpha Mini was probably a better purchase. Um, he said, you know, get the R12 if you want the Moza ecosystem. But other than that, uh, yeah, he said the Alpha Mini is probably a better, better choice. Ouch. I mean, the notching thing he mentioned where you can fill those 16 little notches barely. Eee. I would hate to be a YouTube reviewer and have to say negative stuff about a product. I mean, because you, you got to do business with these people on an ongoing basis. You know what I mean? So I know it must be tough for him to say that, but I do appreciate him saying it. Mike, you are a YouTuber that says crucial things about things. Uh, yeah, in a roundabout way, I guess. Well, um, I mean, he he did say that if you've if you've never had like a real high end one like the Simi Cube, you probably would barely notice it, or or at least you wouldn't notice it really much when you're racing. So, um, so in that way, you know, it's not it's not like something you'd be disappointed in if you haven't already been using a high end system. In other words, if you have the Simi Cube, you probably don't need the Moza. <laughs> yeah, but if you had a Simi Cube, you paid a lot more for it for one <laughs> and you and you've probably and you you know you've you've had just as good as one out there you know yeah i upgraded from the thrustmaster t300 to this so that sounds great <laughs> uh, this was an upgrade for me no doubt about it it's 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 a progression you know you you gotta you gotta move up sometimes it's it's not not the easiest thing in the world for the first thing you buy is like the very top because you know you haven't been in it long enough maybe you know for beginners it's 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 tough sell to buy the the really expensive high-end stuff yeah i mean we were talking about how cheap it is to buy the subscription for iRacing this is where the real money is is stuff like this the other thing at the r12 is and we've said this before a lot of reviewers are saying the 12 newton meter is really the sweet spot or the at least the minimum for a direct drive wheel to feel appropriate and so i, I think dan mentioned in this video at some point you know the 12 is a good uh, point uh, don't go less than that all right justin how about simtrex pro pedals yeah mike um the sim racing uh din remove uh, reviewed the gomez sim industrial hyper p1 Am I on the wrong article? Yeah, we're on the Simtrex Pro Pedals, the one above it. Oh, shoot. I got screwed up. My bad. Yeah, uh, Dan Suzuki reviews the Simtrex Pro Pedals. Uh, they're good-looking pedals. They they remind me of my own, my Henskenveld uh, Ultimate Pluses. They got the same elastomers there. Yeah, Simtrex.com. I'm on their website now to see what the price is. Yeah, they're they're high priced. I mean, they're a they're a high end pedal. Um, you know, about double what you would pay for the maybe the Simagic pedals. Um, you know, he said they're built really well. They look great, very lightweight. Uh, but I think he kind of suggests that you know you can get something just as good for a little bit less money. Well, actually, quite about half the half the money. Yeah, 1,045 euros, that's without the base plate. You know, it was interesting. He said that the, the brake pedal has a hydraulic damper on it, and he didn't like it, so he actually took it off and used it without it. Uh, and, I, you know, and I don't totally understand all the technical aspects of it, but, you know, if you take that off, what's that going to do to your pedals? 
Well, it, it's like a load cell or um, a hydraulic. And so he, you could set it up either way is the way I heard that. And so Dan Suzuki has always seemed to prefer load cell over hydraulic. I think it's kind of his personal preference, actually. Let me just step in on that one because you guys had that curiosity. I have the uh, Fanatec inverted V3s with the um, damper on it. And the damper is um, can be used on either the brake or the throttle. And it's just, it's just an added tension point. It's almost like adding a shock inside a shock absorber on top of having the actual load cell part. So on mine, it kind of dials in as a um, stiffness levels. I think it's like one through nine and you can put it on the throttle pedal so that you have a little bit more resistance throttle pedal wise or put it on the brake, you got more braking resistance and it just helps the pedal have a little bit more feel to it instead of just being, you know, you're, you're just trying to find a sweet spot on the pedal to where you hit your brakes. At least you have something pushing back against it. So, you know, these remind me of the Heiskenvelds. I mean, but the Heiskenvelds are more affordable than this, right, Justin? Yeah, if you take that blue cylinder off like they're talking about, like I said, they, besides for the style of the pedal and a little bit of the shape, they look identical because I answer John's question, you know, it will work directly off those elastomers and you put them in in a certain order to give you your stiffness. Um, yeah, and the Henskenvelds, I think I got Black Friday, I got them for a thousand bucks for all three. Was that with or without base plate? Oh, that was with, that was, hold on. I, oh, that was with the shifter too, actually. So yeah, base plate, all three pedals and the shifter. All right. Um, I'll take the Gomez Hyper P1 review. Uh, Sim Racing Den got their hands on this wheel. This is uh, Gomez's, you know, first wheel they really put out that had all the bells and whistles and the display. And so, um, you know, what can you say? He loved it. <laughs> you know, I don't think he had anything really bad to say about this. You know, it's got the triple paddles on each side. I mean, it's fully loaded. It's got more buttons than you know what to do with. Great build quality. Um, yeah. Talks about how to set it up, how to uh, manipulate the colors with the software. Um, using profiles. You know, you can use SimHub as well. I don't think you can go wrong with a Gomez wheel. Um, you know, the, the pricing on this is quite a bit. If, but if you want one with a display, it's, it's right in line with all the others. Okay, Greg, more Fanatec uh, QR2, what to know? Um, so I guess there's a video by, I'm trying, I'm trying to see who is it by here, Mike. It's uh, OC Racing, the uh, same guy. Okay, so he's just um, letting us know 10 things you need to know about the new Fanatec QR2 real quickly. So I haven't had a chance to really look at this one completely. Um, seems to be like there's a lot of videos coming out about wanting to know about this quick release system. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just, a, I guess it's an informative video on, you know, 10 things you need to know about it. Well, if you're in the Fanatec system, do should you get it? And if you do, what does it cost? What's going to be your experience? 
what do you have to buy to make it work? Because there's different components to it. You have to have the shaft part to put on the DD drive, um, a new shaft. Uh, and then you buy the, the quick releases separate. There's differences between the pro version and a cheaper version. Uh, they both work. He thinks that most people will be perfectly fine with the cheaper version, but the pro one is there if you, you know, want to, you know, go all out, so to speak. The one thing he did say about the cheaper version, Mike, was that it's really not made for the high torque modes if you have a DD1 or DD2. You basically would have to run it in low torque mode. It's not strong enough for some of the high end torque that the, uh, the, the, the podium DD1 and DD2 will put out. Yeah, good point. Um, you would only do the cheaper one if you have one of the, the lower uh, Newton meter bases. I'm just happy to be out of the Fanatec ecosystem, to be honest with you. I had a hor I had horrible experience with the QR1 system they had uh, to the point where I'd be in the middle of a race and my force feedback would just stop in the middle of the corner and I would wreck. I sold it, you know, because I couldn't deal with it anymore. I am so glad. I think I told you guys before, but that was a toss-up between Fanatec and SemiCube. And that was before I met you guys, and I was kind of flying blind. And luckily, I had you guys on the podcast to listen to and direct me towards the SemiCube. And you're happy with that decision? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I love it. It's problem-free, really. That's the thing. It's just... It's bulletproof. You know what I mean? It, it works every time. The QR has zero play in it. Zero. I mean, there's no play in the QR at all, the way it's designed. I, I like the look. It's industrial. The thing's a brick. It's solid. Okay, Brian, how about fan attack module rally buttons? Yeah, this is a teaser, actually, that uh, Fanatec has put out. I'm not sure if it's uh, ready to order just yet, but um, it's the podium button module for rally. So it attaches to the front of the podium steering wheel, the Monte Carlo rally, to give you the button options that you might want to use while you're racing. So um, it's it's kind of kind of different. It's where you know it's a it's a button add-on for the center hub of your of your rally wheel. Um, pretty neat that they can, um, you know, just turn the regular wheel into this one with the button box on it. And, uh, yeah, so it looks pretty cool. It's uh, ideal for rally racing, but it could be used on any oval racing, really. It's oval, oval rim. So, uh, yeah, it would work with anything. If you, would, you could use this on stock car racing and stuff like that, too. Like, I could attach this to the wheel I have, the Max Pappas wheel or whatever, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's specific to the um, Fanatec system. It doesn't say that it is. Right. I think that you could put any kind of wheel on this thing. And so it's almost got that feel of the what Asetech is doing with their wheels, where they have a middle button box you buy, and then you buy a rim to go with it, you know, kind of thing, or maybe multiple rims to go with it. But if you're an oval driver, you know, for the longest time on my oval, my Fanatec oval wheel, I had a button box in the middle of it where I would use push to talk and different things. And so uh, a lot of people want want buttons on their wheel. Right now, I'm I have no buttons on my oval wheel. I just I have a button box I reach over for a push to talk. Okay, uh, Greg, how about how to cockpit? 
So Sam Samsoid uh, posted a how-to video on to make or on how to make an iRacing cockpit, and uh, he was just—is he just going over all the basics to it, Mike? As far as setting up your camera view oh, of the okay. cockpit, it's a camera in the cockpit. Okay, that makes sense. So he's. Um, He's just trying to make sure your, you know, your seating position's right and uh, uh, got everything that, you know, where you want it to be. Um, a lot of this stuff, I don't, I'm not even used to doing this stuff because uh, I, in VR, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, he I did don't a, use this stuff, yeah. Well, he had a, a pretty good segment in there. I didn't realize this till I watched the video, but... I think it's maybe Alt 12 or you, you can go into camera settings and actually change around your cockpit view. And it'll do a lot more than just the black box settings uh, will do. That's how yeah, I control my camera. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So I, I'm going to go in and mess around with that tonight. It changes your head position, but not your field of view, I think. When I first started, I didn't like that I couldn't see over the hood in the stock car very well. So I ended up increasing my height two inches, I think. I'm a tall driver. But so I really haven't adjusted anything beyond that. That's a question I had. I Do you see your hood? Like, I don't see over my hood. I don't see no paint. You can if you get tall enough. So you might go into your black box and turn up your height and see what you think. But I, and do you think in real life, like when they're sitting in a cockpit, do they see the paint and all that? Just a, just a pair of it, a, a sliver of it, I think. Well, in VR, I see the hood. I can see all the things you're, you know, you can, if you're adjusting it to where you want to sit in the seat, it shows the hood. Maybe I'm sitting too low. That's what I'm saying, Justin. Experiment with going taller. Um, now that's a black box setting. You don't have to do that in the Control F12. But now well, I'll mention this because we're talking about it. Last night when I, uh, McKenzie and I were watching the league race from above, and I was telling McKenzie how to get a good view of the race, and what I told him was Control F12. Then hit the space bar to get rid of every all the stuff on screen. Then use the WASD key to move the camera around in conjunction with the control and the alt key. And so you can basically take that camera. And what I do is the follow cam where you're following the driver from behind. And then you just move it really high and over to the left. And you get a really nice you know spotter view. Brian, how about still mind blowing? So yeah, so this is the review of the big screen VR uh, done by Boosted Media. It's actually a re-review. Re he, he had a production version originally, and he's reviewing the, uh, or he had a beta version. Now he's getting the full production version to try out. Um, and really didn't see much difference between the pre-release um, the pre version and the, and the mass production version. Um, so nothing really changed, but he really did like it. He, it's, it was his favorite it's his favorite vr headset that he's using um it's uh you know 
it's and the and the kicker for this is just it's just so tiny. It's it's like wearing a pair of heavy sun sunglasses. Really, it's it's that small compared to other VR headsets. Um, um, there are there are a few downsides based on the size. The FOV is not particularly big, so um, so it doesn't have a great great FOV for viewing, which is understandable with the size of this unit. He did say that there's a little bit of issues with some reflecting that he's noticed. Nothing serious that he that um, that would. Um, keep him from using it but he basically says this is his favorite headset to use if he if he's using vr now i mean will ford's probably not going to use vr he's got like thirty thousand dollars in monitors so um he's probably not going to be using vr headsets too much but as far as his tests go this is his favorite unit if you look at the seven minute mark brian he does mention one defect or flaw uh there's like this rubber you know like 3d printed rubber insert that goes kind of over your eyes and as he pulls the thing off it's actually uh, tore apart uh, the seam on that rubber piece right at the top and it's kind of coming apart it's not a big deal he said because when it, you put it back on it you know it doesn't affect anything but it's something to, to consider all right john you got the lm11 light bar yeah, Sim Racing Pros, uh, they've got the LM11 light bar that it's got some little LED lights uh, that will give you things like RPMs, fuel level, pit speed limiter, flag status, and some other things that you can mount. Uh, you know, it's just a good little display to give you some visual cues on um, on these these different kinds of parameters to just mount on your rig or your desk or whatever you've got it on this reminds me of, it's only 34 bucks i was gonna say this reminds me of those spotlights right remember mike when they started having spotlights and the spotlights 2.0 or it would um give you uh, uh indications for like your spot or your, you know spotting and everything like that but it also would tell you the flags and then it also tell you your fuel when your fuel is low and things like that it was kind of cool yeah, 34 bucks and it literally just has a screw hole where you in the middle where you can just screw it into something or bolt it into something and he shows it uh basically attached to the top of one of his button boxes and you can actually uh buy uh or ha have it freestanding or buy it with the mount for the button box that he sells as well and then it goes right along the top of the button box kind of neat sm-racingproducts.com uh, we got a couple others uh let's let's hit these real quick uh justin the vpgt wheel yeah uh introducing that vpgt the ultimate steering wheel designed with an unwavering commitment to attention to the smallest detail every element of the vpgt has been meticulously crafted to elevate your sim racing experience to, to new heights and that's, that's a hard wheel to say actually it's a tongue twister but uh it's an interesting looking wheel kind of a classic look uh modern look uh 1500 euros it's a good looking wheel. I mean, it's got kind of a luxury look to it. Something you'd see in a, you know, like a Cadillac or something. Right. Like a Alfa Romero or a, something like that. Right. It's very elegant looking. 
Yeah, not quite a butterfly. It's got the flat bar across the bottom. Um, seems a little expensive for a wheel without a screen on it for that much. It does, yeah. It is overpriced. But it's a high-end wheel. It's got double paddles. I don't know. I mean, you compare this for that the, the, the Gomez wheel with the, the display, the Hyper P1 we looked at. They're basically the same price, and you get all the a lot more features, I think, with the Gomez over this one. You have the triple paddles versus dual. Um, it, I guess it all comes down to the look you're looking for, too. You know, These guys are out of the UK. Uh, we got one more, and I will take that, and it's a forum post called the Massive Pedal Buyer's Guide. Now, this guy in the forums has put together this post with a huge list. With pictures, Aaron Quinn is his name. And, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, we've talked about all of these, I think, but it's kind of neat to, neat to see them all in one place, you know? Yeah, this guy put a lot of work in to, to um, collaborate all these different pedals and put them into one, one guide. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. And, um, yeah, I appreciate the work you put into that. If if you're searching for pedals or looking for new ones or anything, this, this has everything right at your fingertips, basically. It's sorted, too, from low price to higher price. So pick your pick your budget and go find the, the price point you, you got, and there's your wheel, or there's your pedal, I mean. Yeah, it's a lot easier than doing a Google search for pedals. I mean, they're all here, everything. Well, here's one I haven't seen before called Alien. $671. That's new to me. I have never not seen those. So we might be talking about those next week. <laughs> what a, what a guide. I mean, when I was buying pedals, you know, a long many years ago, there was nothing like this. It was all word of mouth, you know, there also probably wasn't near as many pedals out there too. That's true. Yeah. That's the thing. There wasn't a lot of choices. I thought you and your, buying pedals mike it was to get things for your horses saddles for your horses you know i bought those pedals the company i bought them from doesn't even exist anymore so uh but they should last forever if they don't i know how to get them fixed i feel like you need those, right, moving you need to upgrade to those uh was those six thousand dollar ones the sim the i don't sim think logic. i'll ever do that but Act the pedals we'll, we'll leave that yeah. for our buddy steve thompson let's jump to results and talk well it's winter series uh league racing at daytona last night david hall got a p9 he said, got separated after the first green stop. Never got back to the lead pack, but we gained a lot of ground once we got four teammates lined up. A lot of carnage at the end gained us a couple of spots too. Overall though, it was nice to have a clean race free of excessive stupidity of the NIS this year. Yes, it was the worst this year. John, P28. Yeah, this was uh, my first ever Winter Series race. And you could tell, man, I made some rookie mistakes. You know, I mean, this race went 100 laps green flag, no cautions. And, you know, in the races that I'm in, in my splits, that never happens. So I'm not used to green flag pit stops. And so 
you know, sure enough, first green flag stop when I'm coming out on the apron in turns one and two, turn the car sideways. Lost the draft with my teammates because of that, and that was it, man. I was down at the bottom. That's funny since you say that because you, you, when you're in leagues and stuff like this, you gotta practice pit stops. It's like you never have to really worry about it because they're always under caution in NIS. But yeah, this this league, you're gonna have to practice those uh, pit stops there, buddy. Yeah, I am. I'm, in fact, that's uh, I'm gonna use that active reset for that just to do pit stops because I am not used to it. Well, um, you need to practice it on old tires to make it right, though. You can do that with the, uh, you know, just do a long run and then uh, and then set your uh, set your marks for your for your uh, resets. What I was gonna say, um, do they have the new pit road configuration for Atlanta for when we go there? I can't remember because Atlanta's next week's track. Oh, where you have to enter on the back or something? Yeah, I'm gonna have to double check that. But if it is in the back, it's not as so bad. But if uh, if you have to enter off of three and four, that is one of the oh, worst hard. things to do, especially in the pack. Yeah, you always you all get caught out at Atlanta when you pit off three and four there. It's really hard to get it slowed down. John, at one point while I was watching from above, before those stops, you were running good. You were up in the lead pack. I want to say about eighth ninth on the outside getting pushed by none other than christian schaliner from iRacing yeah you know i i up until that that pit stop i was running you know top 10 got up to seventh place at one point and just got in there and just fumbled the ball and that that was it but yeah i had a lot of fun for the first 40 laps it was great you know uh, looking forward to doing this every week now, I think at one point there, there was a scramble. The, the line was disintegrating. Everyone's going to the bottom. And somehow, some way, you put it in the wall. Yeah, I did. You know, I had a, a, a guy that was ahead of me that was running a really high line. I thought it was too high. And so coming out of three, staying behind him, I just fumbled it just a little bit. And I did hit the wall. I got some damage out of it. Uh, I don't know that it affected me that much. I don't think it did. You know, I think my problem was I just lost the draft. All right, moving on. Brad Wren got a P11. Follow the leader for most of the race. After the first pit stop, we were separated and fought the remainder of the race trying to track down leaders. Setup was a bit squirrely and that made following people difficult. Leaders wreck come into the checkered and managed to slide through the grass for an 11th place finish. We'll be glad to get to a non-drafting track. Justin, P12. Yeah, I, I started P4. I stayed in a lead back lead pack um, until the first uh, pit stops, and I tried to hook up. Or I got hooked up with you guys, me and Greg. I think got hooked up, and Greg was God. Greg was behind me that time, and we got stuck behind a car that just wasn't stable. I got God. I think I pushed him for six seconds we gained six seconds on the lead pack then he just started getting wobbly and then we lost it and and uh then there at the end it was it was a good race until turn four and they got a little squirrely and a guy should have locked his brakes down and he throttled up right into me and i, I know i was a little hot at the end of the race um, it should have been a top 10 but oh well you were looking good justin last night uh pushing 
like you said, gaining on the pack in front of you. Uh, you were managing temps. You know, at one point you were pushing Greg and you tell Greg, oh, move up a half lane so I can get some air and Greg would magically move up just enough for you to breathe it. But you guys were, were, were making shit happen and I was impressed with the teamwork on, on you guys trying to make something happen. Yeah, I, I learned a lot that race on how to manage the draft. I mean, I, I was forced to and God, I, I was pushing the shit out of Greg. <laughs> All right, Greg, yeah, you got P6. Yeah, I, I was the lucky one because I was leading the train. So I was the one dictating our fuel mileage, I guess, for the whole race and our pit strategy. But uh, the thing that got me was, you know, I'd said this to, to uh, Justin at the end there. It's, I'm not a restricted freight or plate racer or draft track guy. I'm not the greatest at it. I'm more of a fuel economy uh, braking type guy. So I just try and, you know, manage what I can and when they had that wreck out, out of four um, coming to the, the the checkered flag I was just lucky because I was the one leading the thing I knew where they were going and everybody tried to follow me and it just kind of all washed down I was able to clear it and that's how I got P6 uh, but thanks to Justin that's the only reason I had anything the only reason like if I, I, I probably would have been okay being up there in someone else's pack because each time I got onto pit road, I gained spots. Going on and off pit road, I seemed to be better than most of the people that were trying to do it. So um, I gained, I think it was three seconds ahead of Justin and David and them when they when uh, they got came down pit road the second time and uh, they had to catch up to me. Um. Yeah, what was if you noticed that that guy that did that kind of dumb dumb move at the end, he was the guy that we pushed. We were seven seconds back, and I got him to 1.3, and he couldn't handle his car anymore. It was the same exact guy. That guy single-handedly. I bet you, I I would have done real good. You were a little hot after the race, uh, considering, but. It was, a, it was fun to watch from above. I, From my point of view, watching from the spotter stand, we blew it on pit road, the first pit road, we lost four seconds. And I don't think it mattered that the guys who were four seconds ahead pitted first and you guys pitted second. I, it's just that they were faster, you know, when in getting the group back together, getting up to speed, and they gained that four seconds on you guys. And then it was really hard to recover from that. I bet you I could have gained a lot more on pit road. That, this is our, my first league for one. Two, this is most teammates I ever raced with. And three, I just didn't want to demolish you guys on pit road, so on entry, so I was playing kind of safe. Well, that's, the, that's what I'm trying to say is you guys were too safe getting in and out of pit road. We need to really button that up in the future um, and, and just be tight. But, yeah, we had four cars in a row at one point uh, with Brad and Greg and Justin and and so forth. Uh, John, you were part of the mix for part of the race. And then McKenzie uh, was racing with us as well, but he actually um, lost force feedback or something on his wheel and ended up wrecking out, basically. Also, shout out to uh, Bobby Jonas for coming up with a team paint for all of us uh, to uh, go around there where it just had different uh, I guess it was like a version of the IROC schemes where we all have a pick the color plus we're running the iRacers Lounge colors 
they were really, uh, really well done. We just didn't get it all coordinated in time to be uh, ready for that race uh, on our end. So hopefully by the end, by next uh, Monday, we'll have it all set up. Or sorry, next uh, Wednesday, we'll have it all set up. Yeah, he did a real good job. Mine looks awesome. Yeah, trading paints. I don't know. Did we not get them uploaded in time or what the problem was? But I didn't see hardly anyone's new paints. One of the problems was is the actual league. If you put it in the league one, it wasn't working. So we had to put it in the actual main as your main paint. So, like I said, or, well, before the race, my car was all, I see all white on my car. Just my numbers are colored, but on stream, it was perfect. And then most of you guys seen it, and then only somebody else seen white. David could only see white. Yeah, I could only see white as well. And so I had literally downloaded and installed iRacing and Trading Paints just moments before the race on this computer. It's never been installed before. So I never had a, a single paint on this computer until I entered that room. But um, I still only saw white. So I don't know what went wrong, but we got to sort that out. Other racing, Brad ran Thursday fixed at Phoenix NIS P16, ran middle of the pack, but seemed to get caught up in almost every wreck. Finished with 16X, just trying not to get a drive-through. Race two took too long with 24 cautions. I ran Draft Masters Car of Tomorrow at Talladega. P10 was way too loose, and I could barely hold on to it. Jo uh, John, you ran this with me. Um, and you, yeah, I think you and I came up with some setup, but I couldn't run it. <laughs> this, it, it was like driving a 230 mile an hour boat, so, you know, going back and forth, back and forth all the way around the track. Yeah, it was just way too loose. I mean, I got hit by somebody and ended up in P15, but, uh, yeah, I'm not using that setup again. It was awful. As, as Daryl Waltrip would say it's got the hospital wobble that's exactly what it had all right and then you you ran trucks p12 yeah i got into the iRacing super speedway race tuesday night just to see what it was like and i always like that track just because it's different but um very first lap another car net coded and took me out i was in p2 so i finished p12 but fun fun track all right, let's jump to final thoughts. Greg Hectus. Uh, kind of interesting to be in the off season. I, I didn't race much near the end of the year um, with some circumstances in life, but uh, I'm actually uh, pretty excited to just kind of relax and, and run some road racing and, uh, and do this winter series here and uh, have some uh, – have some time for some other stuff in life and just let us get through the winter here. It's just uh, been a tough year and uh, we, uh, I just want to get my escape of racing and, and, you know, doing some stuff. It helps me get change or make things in my mind straighter. So uh, maybe just take some of the worries away. So the last night it was great to just be on with you guys and not have to worry about some things for once. So um, look forward to more racing and, uh, Hopefully we can uh, have a good showing in this winter series. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the league racing really is cool because we all get to be in the same race uh, together, which is unusual, but uh, it's a neat experience. All right, Brian McCubbin, final thought. 
Yeah, um, right now I'm just uh, checking out Black Friday sales for computer stuff so I can uh, try to save a few bucks on a, on a new PC because mine's still not still crashing on me. So I've I, I decided that it's time to scrap things and start again. Yikes. Sounds expensive. John Kearney, final thoughts? Yeah, so last night was the first time I've ever done a league race. And the first time I've ever been able to race with teammates in, in a race like that. So for me, uh, it was a great first experience. Uh, speaks volumes for what, how important it is to have that team concept membership, especially with guys like you and Tafosi Racing who have done this for a long time. You know what you're talking about. And... Uh, always a learning experience, but I'm excited about this winter series. Want to keep doing it. Hope I make every race. Uh, also excited that I got an email today. My iRacers Lounge Polo is in the mail and on the way. All right. Get yourself some merch. Justin Pearson, final thought. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm excited about this league. Uh, this is my first league I've ran. Uh, kind of piggyback what John said about green flag laps. This is my first race. I ran a whole race, green flag and all. Um, even though I was a little frustrated at the end, I really did have fun. I learned a lot. and I kind of can't wait until next year. And I'm learning about these points and all that. And I think you guys may come up to my division, right? D2. Yeah. And we can battle it out because I David, started. David and I was in our division. Actually, I was in two, Division Two as well. Okay. Yeah. And then because I started mid-season, I actually started. I kind of go on Mike's reward or what he accomplished. Uh, I started mid-season at seventeen hundred IR, and I'm at thirty-two hundred. So I want to pat myself on the back on that one. Yeah. Yeah, well done. It's a good good year for you, even though it wasn't a full season. Uh, my final thoughts, I want to do a shout out to uh, Metro Ford from Chicago. They've been our sponsor through the whole season for the equipment section. And uh, what great people to work with, Steve Thompson and everybody over there. Uh, we're so happy to, to be associated with uh, great people who provide cars to to iRacers like you guys. If you need a car, hit them up. I mean, the car market is horrible right now, and you need a friend in the business. And Steve Thompson's uh, your guy, so hit him up. Uh, Steve is working on a new sponsorship for us, so thank you, Steve. We'll, we'll announce that soon. Uh, my final thoughts, um, still tearing down the rig. Uh, tonight, I'm taking down the uprights the wheelbase and all that and the triple monitor mount because it won't fit through the door uh, it's too wide and i'm hoping just to roll the the bottom base out without taking the seat off of it um, but i got to get it out the door and right now it's still a bit wide so i need to take those uprights off anyway because one of them's sagging remember that was the original reason i needed to take it apart um, so we're going to do that tonight not looking forward to it, but uh, trying to keep it in one piece without taking apart every little thing. So um, how logistically I'm going to do that with one person, I don't know. But uh, I might be hanging ropes from the ceiling on a pulley or um, maybe I need an engine puller or something like that. I don't know. 
Uh, but with that, we'll see you on the next one. See you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.